Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Poolside Perspectives Podcast. I am Kevin Woodhurst, and with me is my good friend, Mike Farley, and we're so glad you found this podcast. Together, we have been homeowner advocates in outdoor living and the pool industry for over 30 years. So we understand the challenges you face creating your backyard paradise. We know your curiosity is not enough to ensure your success. So on this podcast, we're going to talk about the design process and practical steps to help you create that space. We'll have some fun mixed in with it, some aha moments, and this is no fluff. No one has time for that. So we're going to get serious and get very particular about all of these topics. Whether you are a new homeowner with your first remodel or a seasoned homeowner competing your last dream home, we are here to help you end up with what you dreamed of. From pools to patios, pizza ovens to pergolas, porcelain to pumps, pool party to permits, ping pong tables to the processes to your paradise. This is straight talk and action steps. Let's get started. All right, everybody, it's time for our Poolside Perspectives podcast vocabulary lesson. Is it not, Mike? It would be, yes. And I think that the word of the day should be drop beam. So what is a drop beam? Uh, a drop beam would be, I mean, if you listen to the word drop, it means that the beam itself is dropping down below the pool. So you might be on a hillside or the pool might be elevated in a yard and something's got to finish that side of the pool because it's elevated out the ground where you can see it. And so if you could see it and it's got to be finished with the material, then it would be a drop beam. So what's the difference between a drop beam and a retaining wall? Uh, they could be similar, but the drop beam is part of the pool and the retaining wall is not, and they are not connected. So a retaining wall has to have a footing. Yes, it does. But a drop beam is tied basically to the structure of the pool, so no footing required. Correct. Okay. So then the cap of the drop beam would be your coping? Would be. Okay. Yes. Okay. So... This is a way that you could possibly save some money. You could. Although there's some forming involved with it. I do a lot of hillsides and I use a lot of drop beam. Mm -hmm. And to me. Well, it's hard to get away from. You're here with lots of elevations. I'm dealing with it too. So we're, everybody's dealing with it really. So it becomes functional space the way that I look at it. I get to use this space for additional things which a lot of times people don't think about. The most common that I did to begin with was just that it's a seat. It's like a bench that I can sit on, that if it's 18 inches from the top of the drop beam down to the ground or the decking that's below, then I can use it for that. We use drop beam for different things. I think the drop beam itself is, to some degree, some sort of visual feature. If you're on the backside of the pool, depending on where it's at, I love the idea of serve it as a retaining or not a retaining wall, but actually a seat wall, but you're limited within inches of how tall that could be. So, so you might have it step down, but you're going to step down from a drop beam to a retaining wall because you're not going to have a drop beam behind the pool itself. It'll be behind the pool is the drop beam, but the retaining wall, which is maybe 10 feet behind it, would be something entirely different. Both of those could both have brick ledges on them and would have a stone finish. They could look the same, but they are different. So I've used drop beams for benches. I've done drop beams for tabletops. I've used a drop beam for a for countertop. Really short people? Oh, no. So I'm going a 24-inch drop beam. That would be a tall bench. 30-inch would be a table. Okay, so if I 
use the coping and had a little bit of overhang, I could pull chairs up to it. Absolutely. So I've used it as a countertop. So if you're 30 inches, you're basically tabletop. Tabletop. So 42 inches bar top. 36 is counter. So now right. I could use outdoor kitchen. I could build this as part of my counters as with the drop beam. So based off the design, you could serve any of those purposes or all of them. All of them. Yeah. I think if you look at it from a functional standpoint, then a drop beam could be a really cool thing to have. Mm -hmm. Especially with the hillside. So well here in Texas, to your point earlier about availability of materials, it's a great look. I mean, I love the way it looks, especially when it's done to put something on there. I mean, I have been typically in the past because a lot of the stuff was very clean, was just tile. But here we're using stone because again, to your point. There's all kinds of stone here to use. And Austin stone is, seems to me like it's on just about every house. It's a lot because it's really light colored and light mm -hmm. colors are popular now. So in the past, there was a lot of Granberry and Millsap and Hackett and all, all kinds of different things coming out of different quarries around here. So one thing that I've done recently, which has been really popular is I've done a bench with a back. So it's, 36 inches uh -huh. of a drop beam, but you drop down 18 inches and then there's a bench seat there. Mm -hmm. And then, so I've got the backing, which we will put a little bit of a slope onto, about a three inch slope usually. So now I can sit there comfortably and I can put a fire pit in front of me. And so it becomes a great seating area for a fire pit with a 36 inch drop. Love it. So great the other idea. thing that a lot of people like is if there's kids walking around on the coping up top, it's not a 36-inch drop to the ground. It's just an 18-inch drop down to the bench. And so it's a little bit more kid-friendly. Okay. So one thing, if you do a built-in bench, which we're doing more and more of these, is you, know, you have to think about, are we going to use cushions on this? Because the depth of the seat is going to be different if I've got a cushion up against my back. The other thing is the height of the seat is different if I've got a cushion that I'm sitting on. I was just going to say that because realistically with cushions, what do you recommend to your clients as far as thickness on cushions? I mean, I guess it would depend on the cushioning itself, but there's got to be some sort of typical. I tell people start with three inches yeah. in mind. That's where I was going to go. So if I've got an 18 inch seat, then I want to build the masonry to 15 so I can put a three inch cushion on top of it. So now I have an 18 inch seat mm -hmm. to sit on. The other thing you've got to though think about is are the cushions going to blow away? Are the squirrels going to eat them? All of those things to think about. So fasteners that you might have to keep the cushions in place. Can you remove them seasonally and that type of thing? So those are all things to think about in creating your custom environment here. What kind of fasteners are you talking about? You might have something that's like a snap or I've done also a Velcro type situation. There's different things. And so when you've got high winds and you've got stuff out in the yard, that's stuff that could potentially blow away. So it would make sense to have it tethered down somehow. Right. Otherwise, you're dragging it in and out on a constant basis. And there's just things that I think after you've done this for a lot of years that we, Mike and myself, we think about because we see this all the time. One of the things when I look at outdoor spaces, one of the most popular things today is that kitchen countertop that I'm going to build in with my drop beam. And so with that, it set ups for the ideal sunken cabana outdoor kitchen. So now I can sit in this space and enjoy interacting with people that are sitting at bar stools or standing in the pool from an eye to eye situation. So this is a great setup. Do you do 
a lot of outdoor kitchens? Starting to do a lot more here. I didn't do that as many in Phoenix, and I'm not sure why. It could have been the clientele that I was exposed to. It could have been the company that I was working with. They just didn't do it. But here, it's a big deal. We like food. Yeah. I cooked pork chops yesterday on my big green eggs. I was just going to say, I'll bet it was on your big green egg. Yes. So people enjoy when they entertain to cook. So that's something you turn the ball game on, you know, you sit there, especially in the spring and the fall are phenomenal times to be outside and enjoy hanging out with your friends and you cook some stuff and serve food. And so this has nothing to do with swimming, but it has everything to do with outdoor living. And so you like to be outside and enjoy these spaces. Let's come back to the TV thing here in just a couple of minutes, because since we're talking about cabanas and whether or not they're sunk or whether or not the same level as the pool. What do you think of those? I love a sunken cabana. If I can sink it and I'm somewhere 30 to 36 inches down below the top of the pool, the coping. So then I can have this interaction and eye to eye situation. If I'm only 18 inches down, to me, that's a little bit on the short side mm-hmm. and I can sit on the countertop, it's level with my... It would just be a seat wall. It'd be a seat wall. And so to interact with people in the pool, it's a little bit awkward there because I'm up a little bit higher than them. But the biggest thing that I find with a sunken cabana is you have to have drainage to get the water out of that space. Right. And I think we've touched base on that previously. But otherwise, you end up with another swimming pool, which now your refrigerator and your ice maker are all going kaput on you. I think it's a great situation, but sometimes the site's not conducive for it. What I'm looking at is what's going to work and create as low a maintenance as possible for people so they don't have a problem taking care of it later on. And some people are like, well, I can put a sump pump in there. And yes, you can, but there's going to be problems with that sump pump over a period of time. And since this episode is really about entertainment, that sunken kitchen entertainment area in and around the pool is everybody's gathered there. That's the one of the places to be. You're either in the pool or there. And you're just, you're so close to interacting with people. I think both of those are great spaces to have. So in that space, I'm going to have a kitchen. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that I want to put in a kitchen, kind of some standard items and then some features that are cool to have. So where would you start your list? To the point before is like, what type of uh, entertainment do you do? What's important to you? I mean, I'm not a a griller, right? so that wouldn't be super important to me. Although if I was going to build one, I'd put a nice grill there just because the next person who buys the house may be a griller. I'm just not. Now, if I had a really nice griller in a sunken area, maybe I would use it more. I don't know. Currently, I probably wouldn't. Understood. But it's a compelling thing to have in the pool because it's a cool place to hang out in. And it brings up the question, for me at least... The size of the sunken area is going to dictate really what you can put in it to some degree. Most people, when they have an outdoor kitchen, are going to have some type of roofing structure over it. So size of those are going to depend somewhat on timber and the products that you're using. And we talked about shade in the, the previous episodes. So that's something you probably want to check out. I think it was episode two. Maybe it was episode three. I can't remember. We're going to have a list and I'll be more organized as we go later on. Well, plenty of these are going to blend in together. Just reminders, just to make sure people are thinking about it. I don't see anything wrong with that. What I look at it was with the structures, again, going back to the first question, what's the average size gathering? So what furniture am I going to put in this space? That's what I was thinking about is the furniture. Yeah. Do you want a table and chairs down there? 
a lot of people are like, I want bar stools in the pool. I uh-huh. want bar stools that come up so those people can interact. And then I need a counter to cook on. Uh, a lot of times it's an L-shaped counter. Mm-hmm. And then I want a table. And how many does it sit? And then some people want also, they want a TV down there and some couch and some chairs. That's a big structure. And you try to put all that together. I just recently did one. And we were, I think, 20 by 26 for the structure. Mm-hmm. And it basically was a little snug. 30 would have been better. But and that's a lot of square footage. And it's over 450 square feet. And it still was crowded. Well, you're putting the living room, mm-hmm. the dining room, and the kitchen all in one space. And this is where the software really is helpful because we can plan it accordingly. And we can show that space in there and really the kind of room that you have. It's real important for me to understand how many are going to sit at the dining room table if you're going to put one down there. Mm-hmm. Because I want, or I sit at a table, sit at the chairs, walk around the chairs. I want 12 feet width. So for that to happen. And then depending on how many people are sitting in that table, whether it's four, six, eight, 10, 12, those dimensions are going to be required to, to make all that space work. And not only that, but once you get down there and you have that many people down there, and they're walking around, talking, sitting up at the bar, engaging with people inside the pool, trying to sit around the table. You got somebody cooking, you got the wife, the mom, the secondary person helping with the cooking. It gets crowded really fast. Oh, yeah. Again, popular space. But if you take the spaces and you figure out what furniture you're going to put in it, and then you put the math to it, then you're going to end up with a, a realistic space according to how you're going to use it. And some people are going to have very large structures because they want to have all those things together in one space. Now, I did a project not too long ago that there were two cabanas. So we had the living room cabana and then we had the dining and kitchen cabana. So two totally separate structures. They were on two different levels because of the hillside in this particular backyard. But if you're wanting a large amount of things, maybe it's not all going to fit in one space. Good point. So you just got to plan accordingly. Another sunken feature that's very popular is the sunken fire pit. Oh, yes. That seems to be something that's, what do you think, the last 10 years? Yeah, I would say somewhere close to 10 years. I did hear one gentleman in California claims he's been doing them for a long time. I know Ryan Hughes out of Florida has been doing them. uh, Awesome builder. Amazing builder. Again, just creating a space and the credit, when I first saw him, I was like, well, who would want to hang out there? And then- I realized, no, that's a great place to hang out because some people want to come to the party and be entertained and they don't want to get wet. Right. And so they want to interact with everybody and a sunken fire pit, especially that's in the pool, there's different types of them. If you're surrounded by water on three sides, which a lot of them, some of them are, now you can interact with somebody that's swimming by or standing in the pool. And so there's people that just physically don't want to get in. Some people just aren't comfortable swimming. And so this gives a great place for them to hang out. At the very beginning, I thought this is just going to be when they sit by the fire. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. Fire pit most of the time isn't even on. It can be in the summertime, in the middle of the day, and there's people still hanging out in that space. Yeah, and the thing I love about doing them is that it is essentially immersing the people in the pool experience without being in the pool. You've got a multifaceted design Whereas you don't have to be in the water to enjoy the swimming pool and you're surrounded by the water. And it's, it's and really people. another place for that fire pit is near the spa, sitting in a hot spa on a cool night with steam rolling off it and a fire brewing. 
What's sexy? You want to think of fire pits. Sometimes people want them close to a certain element. The spa is probably the most popular. The cabanas another time. People want it near there. Sometimes they want the fire pit totally removed from everything. They want to go sit out there and get away. Mm-hmm. And so I've had clients that sometimes have had two fire pits. They've had one up close to the house because they want to interact with all the gathering. But then they want another one totally out in a distant spot where they can just go and enjoy things. And in fact, most of the fire pits that I do are gas. Electronic ignition. Some are electronic, some are manual. So the cool thing about electronic is you can turn it on from inside the house and it becomes a fire feature, which mm-hmm. is really neat. Also, you can control it and that way your kids aren't messing with matches and gas and that type of situation with a, with a manual setup. That sort of seems like an accident waiting to happen. You just got to be careful, especially if you have propane. Because I found this out years ago when I was cooking at a church camp and I went to go light the oven and I had turned it on and didn't realize the pilot light wasn't on. Mm -hmm. So I leaned down to light the pilot light and it was not natural gas at this location. It was propane. Propane's heavy. Yes. It does not rise. Yep. It sinks to the floor and pools. So when I leaned down with my match to light it, I saw this great flash of light and I thought I'd gone to heaven. That's awesome. <laughs> and everybody in the kitchen thought my face was blown off because all they saw was a big flash of light too. Mm-hmm. So propane fire pits, you have to be very careful with. In fact, we won't use glass media with them for that reason, because if you don't light one properly, the glass media creates a blanket effect and the propane settles in there. And then all of a sudden you go to lean over and light it and it goes boom. So we use lava a lot of times or something, a bigger situation with the propane ones. I like the tumbled the lava rocks, the black tumbled rocks. I think those look great. I think those are great. There's also the cannonballs. Those yeah. are really cool for a modern look if you're wanting something that generates some heat with it. So that's one thing too is the glass media, there's no heat really coming off of it. Mm-hmm. It just dissipates. It's a visual effect. So That's a great point right there. And that is, are we using this fire pit for practical purposes or are we using it as a visual perspective or a visual feature? Uh, One or the other, or do you want to use it for both? And that has to be a consideration in designing it. That's where most people with electronic ignition, really, if it's a feature, they want to control that remotely. Mm -hmm. So if it's a gathering, I'm going to go out there and sit around it. A lot of clients are like, I have no problems turning a gas key and lighting it with a a lighter. So what's going on with the municipalities then as far as keeping homeowners safe? Is there legislation? I heard that there's some legislation moving towards that we may have to put electronic ignition on everything. Is that true? Have you heard that? I haven't heard that. I've heard that from more than one person. But that's probably not surprising. I mean, fire pits, gas fire pits, probably 15 years ago didn't exist. Mm -hmm. Again, before 9-11, I could count on one hand how many times I did it. There was the fire pit where you went out and burned wood. That's what everybody did prior to 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it was just like the campfire. The problem is you had the smoke, which smoked out 25% of the around the fire pit. So I hardly have a client ever that requests that. Most of the time, it's a gas situation. In a lot of cities, 
required to be at least 10 feet away, but some cities it's 15 and 25. And so some cities have basically said, we don't want you to put a fire pit in, so we're going to make it where it's virtually, oh, we want it 50 feet from the house and 50 feet from anything that's flammable. Basically, they're not going to let you put a fire pit in. Sure. So that's when the planter goes in. It's convertible. <laughs> it's converted later on. Oh my gosh. I have a project starting here real soon that has six fire pits on it. Six. Six fire features. They're all electronic ignition. A sunken fire pit area in the pool, surrounded 360 by water. Awesome. A fire pit right next to the spa and four fire features. Again, all electronic ignition. So they're walks basically with- The bowls? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so- Six features on. So do you have to click six times or you can control all the bowls like from one? Probably you could probably just program it to do all at once, I would imagine. That's cool. But here's the thing. I first started seeing fire done a lot was, like I said, it was in the early 2000s after 9-11. And the first person I saw that used it a lot was in Arizona. And I was like, what? in the world are you doing? Is it not hot enough there already? You're putting fire out there? And he said, no, 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 Mike. This isn't about gathering at all. This is about visual effects. In fact, I've got a fire feature outside of a dining room window so they can turn it on and enjoy it while they're sitting there eating dinner. I've got a fire pit in the front entry of the house so they can enjoy walking up to the home. There's some fire features out by the pool too. We're doing all this fire stuff. And I was like, okay, because all my thoughts before were, this is about gathering and entertaining and sitting around. But fire can be a very strong visual feature. Uh, I was doing those in the early 2000s. Maybe exactly you were, what you're talking about. That maybe was you were I, the guy. I wasn't the guy. I, I'll never claim to be the guy. One of my own personal pools, we put three round bowls on the backside of the pool on elevated columns. And those were all fire features. And I only did it because I wanted to see the flames dancing off of the black interior finish at night. Because as I've said before, I designed for a nighttime too. You want to turn the pool lights off for that effect. Yes. It's awesome. Yes, it is. But fire is something that some people are really into. And then others are like, no, that's not my thing. One thing that also comes into play when you're entertaining at night is lighting. And lighting is also something that's becoming a much bigger deal in the industry today versus in the past. It was like, you're going to light the pool, right? Mm -hmm. And good, we're done. And now people are wanting a lot of other things besides that. I'm going to go back to that, but the whole fire thing, imagine 2003, there weren't electronic ignition burners available no. that I can recall. No. So in the case of our pool and some of the other ones that I did, you had to go out there and turn a valve manually and light it. And that was always an interesting experience because it didn't work out the same way every time. They were cool once they were lit. Then you could go out and turn the valve off. And of course, it turns off because it doesn't have any supply anymore. You could leave a, a gas valve on inadvertently and something could happen. I think that the electronic ignition, that's a great thing. It's a good thing. It keeps people safe. And it's a feature to your point. You can use your phone, you can use your app, you can use your automation system to turn it on and off. That's the way it ought to be done. One thing with electronic ignition, and that's why the cities are going to it and requiring it is if a feature is lit, it will relight itself, was it three, four, or five mm -hmm. times? And then after that, it turns the feature off. So safety feature. It's a safety feature with wind because wind sometimes will blow the feature out. And if it was not shut off, then you would just be pumping gas or propane in 
And if you have the other one on a column a few feet away at some point, then it get enough gas flowing, then there'd be a big boom again. A big poof. Yeah. And I think that this comes down to area of the country to some degree as well, because in Phoenix, the wind doesn't blow like it does here. Yeah, we have monsoon storms. But the beauty of Phoenix, because as you know, I still love Phoenix as much as I love it here, is you've got nine months, eight or nine months of absolutely amazing, beautiful weather. Three months of hell. It's tough summertime. But coming over from Phoenix to here, being here for a year, going through a summer now, both Heather and I were like, eh, it's not that bad. But the wind blows and the weather changes every three seconds. (laughs) And so it's a very unique difference. And that's the point is what might work in one part of the country may not work in another part or just may not be available or even legal. Yeah. So the fire pits are becoming regulated. A lot of them are considered an appliance. And if you meet the appliance rating, then you're fine. But those are generally all, if it's registered as appliance, it has to have electronic ignition anyway. Oh, for sure. And then we're coming back to the built-in TV because for me, I love the NFL. I love sports of all kinds. If I'm outside, if I was going to be out cooking and grilling, if I am out entertaining, what would be cooler than being around a pool and an outside entertainment area and having an 82-inch TV out there to watch your favorite programming? 82 inches. So how did you so come a small one. starter TV? The big thing with TVs is I've done a lot of TVs outside. And what I used to have people come to me and they'd be like, I need a cabana and a fireplace. And I'd be like, okay, so what do you need the cabana and the fireplace? Well, I need weatherproof area that I can mount my TV. So if I put it above the fireplace, then it works. And I'm like, so you're going to spend $35,000 to put a TV outside. And they're like, yeah. I said, have you heard of outdoor rated TVs? They're like, no, what's that? What's a TV that's waterproof? You can turn the sprinkler on it and blast the thing and it's sealed up so it doesn't have a problem in the elements. So you don't have to have a cabana structure and a fireplace to mount your TV. And I believe they make those TVs so that they have some sort of anti-glare glass on them so that you can see them a little better than a normal TV, which would be quite the problem with the glare. The one thing that I didn't understand is... They explained to me most of the TVs fail because of bugs. Mm -hmm. Outdoor rated ones, because they're sealed up, they don't have the problem with the bugs that the other ones do as well. So they'll last a lot longer than a typical conventional. If you take the TV that you buy at Sam's Club and Best Buy or something like that, and you put that out there, that it's not going to last nearly as long as an outdoor rated TV. What do you think the segue price difference is? Is it twice as much? I think it's two to three times as much, but you're going to get more life expectancy and a better performance out of it as well. We talked about that, a TV that folds up out of the silo that's like a hundred inch TV. Yes. That thing's pretty cool. So I'm surprised you didn't have that on your list. It's just not on my list because I haven't had a situation where it would be the amount of money that somebody would be willing to pay for it. If you're talking about a million, $2 million project, yeah, they probably would be, would consider it. I don't know. I've seen them on the reels and around the industry and on different projects, and I think it's amazing. As human beings, I'm inspired by the fact that we always can figure out certain things. Now, if we just figure out how to get along, we'd be that much better off. Invite everybody to the Sunken Cabana barbecue outdoor bar. That's where the negotiation should be, where everybody's having fun. I've also seen vaults where the TV will recess down into the ground. Like a cabinet. Yes. And that cabinet has a mechanism in it that rises the TV out of the cabinet. 
and probably on top of the cabinet or on top of the TV is the cabinet top. It goes up and down. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. So there's a lot of cool things that you can do with TVs. I think that anymore, a lot of people are asking for, I want to be able to watch TV. So you're thinking about putting a TV somewhere in a lot of cases. Maybe it just is the scale and the size of the projects that we're doing, because I think to some degree, what you and I are talking about is not just a very basic swimming pool and a swimming pool only. Although the information that's being gleaned out of this is applicable to buying any of those pools Correct. and getting those questions answered. Yes, but many people will have multiple TVs in the backyard. I've also had clients say that the backyard is media free. So we don't want TVs out here because mm-hmm. we want to interact and converse more. And other people are like, are you kidding me? There's no way in the world. We have to talk about the game, so we want to watch the game. And I'm going to have my phone at my side anyway, and I'm going to be looking, so why not be able to look up at the screen? So different folks. You different know, strokes for different folks? Yes, they're all different. So that's the fun of the adventure of here. So what's some other things? I'm managing space in a backyard. So sometimes people are like, there's other things that we would like to enjoy in the backyard to have people over and entertain. And the two things that have come up a lot recently is I want a bocce ball court and I want to play cornhole games. I want games that I can hang out and everybody do as well. Although I saw something not too long ago and it was an outdoor rated ping pong table. I've seen those. Yeah. So it was set up where it could be a table with Mm -hmm. benches on both sides And then it could be used as a ping pong table as well, 100% waterproof. Because we took our ping pong table out there and did that, and then it got rained on and didn't work so well. So is there a difference, would you say, between waterproof and being able to be outside in the elements? Because for me, at least, I think the sun probably does just so much damage to everything. So it could be waterproof, but could still be damaged by the sun. It's going to bleach stuff out. There's going to be some considerations for even that stuff. Again, you're different parts of the country. Mm-hmm. You have different elements that are going to be the major threat. Some places it's heat, some places it's sun, some places it's humidity, some places it's rain. I'm sure it's different in all different parts of the country you got to look at. So we talked about lazy rivers briefly at one point. This would be yet another item. So from the entertainment standpoint, a lazy river is probably the cherry on top of everything. The very first lazy river I did Again, I'm questioning, why do you want to do this? Because Mm -hmm. I'm talking to a 55-year-old gentleman that was single. And I was like, I don't understand. Why do you want a lazy river? And he said, here's the deal, Mike. You built the pool. And I said, yes, I did. He said, my son married their daughter. I said, oh, congratulations. He said, my grandchildren play at their house every weekend because they like hanging out at their pool. I was like, oh, that's good. He said, so I figured if I built a lazy river... They'll come hang out at my pool Sure. instead. Now, he also wanted to use it for employee bonuses and incentives and things like that because he had several different restaurants that he wanted to uh, use it with. It became quite a thing for entertaining. It compelled people to come to his pool. Oh, yes. So very much now. On the very first party that he had a margarita machine, and he said he decided after the first party that the margarita machine was a little too much with the lazy river. Oh boy. They must have had a good time. Most of them had a good time. There was a couple that 
had too much of a good time. But as far as entertaining, that's something that's really cool. He also had a really cool concept of he wanted a swim-up bar inside a cave. Very cool. Yeah, so you swam in there underneath the waterfall and had the bar and bar stools in that space. Great place for a spa and a TV. Yes, the spa was actually outside of that space. But yes, I've seen caves, very large caves. Absolutely, I've seen some crazy stuff. Which is really cool. So one of the things that he had a family member that really enjoyed the space because they couldn't be in the sun a lot. So mm-hmm. inside there, they didn't have any sun issues at all. So they could sit there and watch everybody going by and enjoy the space. And so it was a, a really cool thing. So Lazy Rivers, yes, is something that would definitely bring in the entertainment aspect of grandchildren and or teenagers or adults. So most people enjoy a good Lazy River. I have a question for you since you have done an awful lot of really amazing projects, and that is... Have you had anybody ask about being able to surf in a residential pool yet? So I went to a surf park in Arizona last May that they were building it for competitive and training and that type of thing. So that was the first time I had ever heard of that type situation. And so it was a flow rider, I believe is the name of Mm -hmm. the piece of equipment that they use on cruise ships and stuff like that. And I understand that several people in the industry have installed and are installing those type of features now. I have not been requested to do surfing yet in the backyard. Isn't Rick Chafee doing something like that? He is. Yeah. So I want to tap into his head sometime. He's interested. Yes. Yes. From an entertainment standpoint, you can have all kinds of things. The Sunset Magazine book that I talked about in the very beginning one of the cool pictures in there is they had a wine room that went in conjunction with the swimming pool and they had an acrylic window in between the two. And this was back in 1985. Wow. So way before our acrylic windows, which are becoming more popular today, but that was the big thing of entertainment was to go down in the wine room and have a glass of wine and watch everybody swimming around in the swimming pool. So for those that are listening that, aren't clear on what an acrylic window is, tell everybody about that feature and what it does and what its benefits are and what do you like about it? So you have to have a change of elevation. So in essence, you put a window in the side of the pool or I saw someone installing one friend of mine that's working in Southern California. He's doing a pool in Beverly Hills right now and he has an acrylic window on the floor of the pool. Wow. And that bottom is the living area underneath in the house. So you can look through the water in the pool and basically you have a huge window in the floor of the pool that shines into the house. So you're in the living room looking up and seeing people swim. Over the top of you. Yes. So that's a very uncommon window. More common is there's a window on the side of the pool. Mm -hmm. So I've got a project that we're going to start here shortly and it's a sunken fire pit area. And in that sunken fire pit area, we have a window that looks into the pool. Which would be where the drop beam correct would be. Yes, your drop beam is a piece of an acrylic, so you can see into the space. The first one I did was a window down at the deep end of the pool, which was in conjunction with the sight lines coming out of the living room of the house. And so you could see the kids as they dove into the swimming pool, and they used to rate 
people as they went in and see how their dive performance was. So it's just a cool space to see into the pool. The other thing is it brings a lot of light from the swimming pool at night as you light that feature up. It's mm-hmm. basically the lighting's coming through into the space that the, the window's in conjunction with. So it can be a very striking feature just as a visual feature. So we're going to get into those later on. As a reference for anybody that's been to SeaWorld, that'll give you a little bit of an idea of what an acrylic window is. Any aquarium as mm-hmm. you look into, you're looking into the water from the outside. It's a great feature. It's a really fun feature for sure. It is. What are your thoughts on perimeter overflow pools? From an entertainment standpoint? Yes. We don't want to get into the weeds on this one. Curious what your thoughts are on that. So a perimeter overflow pool is where the water and the deck are level with each other. It gives a really seamless look. It's real clean. The one thing from an entertainment standpoint is you got to be careful when all those kids get in the pool and start jumping around and everything like that. The water wants to leave that pool and vessel. And so with the surge, you have to taper all the walkways back towards the pool so the water doesn't run all over the place. Mm -hmm. But it's a, a very cool visual feature to hang out around. But you have to accommodate the structure that's going to make all that work. Sometimes it's underneath the coping. Sometimes it's next to the coping. And we'll get into details. Yeah, so to me, the entertainment part of that would be it's such a compelling feature. And a lot of people haven't seen one. And it's a really unique and very cool look. Yes. It's not something you get for $10,000. No, it's not. So there's a lot of structure involved with it. So one of the critical things, if someone ever talks about a perimeter overflow, that vessel has to be kept perfectly level. If it's off a quarter of an inch over 40 feet, you're going to have a problem because the water is going to run off, not all the way around. It's going to run off on one side. So the thought of not peering that structure would just be crazy. Oh, for sure. Because if you just had... Even where you don't have soil movement, if something settled slightly, there's an old tree trunk that got left in the ground and, you know, rotted and settled a quarter of an inch. And then you got a vessel that's not going to work. So Right. And so a quarter inch doesn't sound like much, but now you have a perimeter of a pool that's 150 feet and a quarter of inch of play. It's meniscus. Remember I talked about that? Yeah. We considered that for the word of the day. But that's true. I thought you blew your knee out. I don't get that reference. There's a meniscus. I guess there is. I just never thought of it that way. Yeah. I remember the first time I heard the word meniscus. I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah. I had kids play soccer, messing those things up. One thing that has become really popular for entertainment and gatherings is the swing and the day bed and the egg chair and just places that you can hang out in. And You're outside. You're near the water. You can listen to it. Yeah. You're engaging with other people for sure. It's just a relaxing thing. There was an article I did years ago for Water Shapes, and it talked about different places and people get different feelings in it. One was swinging through the air generates a certain amount of feeling with a lot of people, and a lot of people really enjoy that. And so to incorporate that in your outdoor living space has become more and more popular, I think. As I mentioned, everybody wants everything that they have inside. They want one outside now. So people want a bed that they can go out there and enjoy. It has a little bit of swing motion to it. even makes it a more comfortable place to hang out. Sure. And in the last few years, when I think they've been able to produce product that does better in the sun and does better in the elements, we have a lot more 
access to the amount of furniture that's now available for outdoors and around the swimming pool is amazing. Yeah, a little bit different than the 80s. A little bit? Yes. So that's a really cool thing. And then the other thing that I've got a client that had to have one right now is he had to have a pickleball court. Mm-hmm. And that's become a really popular thing, which is a lot easier to fit in than the tennis court, which was a real estate hog. But some people, that's, that's something they really enjoy. Or outdoor basketball is what my son wants. He wants a half court. He's like, it's just about a 50 by 40 area, Dad. Just 2,000 square feet of concrete. I'd be happy. The reality is the backyards are turning into destination places and people want to spend their time there. I mean, COVID, as we talked about before, changed all that. 911 changed all that. I think more and more people want to feel safe. They want to be at home. They want to track their families over, their their kids over, their friends over. And the backyards, as we've said many times, have really morphed into something far beyond what you and I were accustomed to when we first got into the business. Yeah, it's changed a whole lot versus I just want a pool and Give me four feet of deck all the way around. It's where we started with basic things, but it's a whole lot. There's probably still people that that want that, and that's great. I've always felt compelled to, no matter what type of pool somebody wants, we want them to get another pool. We want people to love their pools. I've heard it. I've seen it in posts on social media where somebody will say pools are a dark hole for money to go into. That's all they are is a money pit. I completely disagree. I'm sure you do as well, because I think it's a big part of what people want. At their homes, they want to entertain at the house and then swimming pool in the Sunbelt area. We wouldn't call it a necessity, but it's almost needed just because of the weather. There's a lot of things that you can get out of it other than just swimming it. So it's a place that people can go. The one thing that I have no problems with the pool with four feet of walkway around it. However, my feeling is make one spot at least a 12 by 12 so I can put a table and four chairs. And give me at least a 10 by 10 over here so I can put a couple lounge chairs and maybe not waste the concrete on the back and give me some privacy from the neighbors. So to me, that's a, it's a simple pool, but now it serves a lot of function from an entertainment standpoint as well as just a functioning swimming pool. So and that's all we're trying to do is make you think about how you're going to use your space the best. And if it's a space that you use, then it's great. So that's backyards for a lot of families before we show up is just a place that the dog hangs out. Now we've got something basic, simple, or crazy, doesn't matter which, gives the dog a little bit of competition. True that. And our Pomeranians love the swimming pool. Yeah? They do. They swim or they just stay on the They tops? swim. Yeah, I was going to say, because even the top step, they probably have to swim. Well, I put a brick a cinder block. So they could get out if they were in. Of course, they're not in the pool unless we're in the pool. But yeah, they're little six-pounders swimming around the swimming pool. It's funny. Think drowned rats. Yes, I and understand. Then you'll have Because you, you have dogs. Yes. Golden retrievers are for retrieving things in water. Right. And so they believe that the swimming pool was built specifically for them. And we have a towel rack at the back door, which is just for dogs. So don't get the wrong towel when you get out. Otherwise, you get a lot of hair on you. Well, that's pretty funny. But it is a great place to entertain, whether it's going to be just you and your spouse, or it could be you and some close friends, or you may have uh, weekend gatherings every week, or have the grandkids there for the holidays. It's a wonderful place to be. 
It is. For 30 years, I have had a swimming pool. And for 30 years, we have enjoyed that pool and the spa almost year round. What we do in this industry for a large part is create memories. Mm -hmm. And those memories a lot of times are priceless. And they wouldn't have occurred if we didn't have that space to gather around. I can say that my family, when we were all in Northern California, there were times that we all got together that probably wouldn't have happened if we didn't have the pool to all gather around. Sure. And But it was a place that everybody could be. And I say that's one of the only places I could put my three children when they were growing up was in a spa because they would not get together for anything. But the water brought them together. And I think that's what it does for a lot of families and friends is we create this space that countless memories are made. And if you have the benefit of having this in your backyard, then you're going to have a lot of fond memories to look back on over time. I would say exactly the same thing. We have hundreds and hundreds of pictures of the kids and the family in and around the pool. And in every case, when we've sold these houses, we've gotten top dollar for them. We put a lot of thought into it. We were going to talk about something. I think it had to do with mobsters. We were talking about capping. Capping. Yes. Yeah, which is another new term for Kevin here over here in Texas, because we didn't call that capping. Oh, uh, you called them killing? <laughs> we didn't call it capping in Phoenix. It was just typically, do you want to have the same material on your existing patio to match the pool material or the pool product that's around your pool? The, oh, so capping has to do with decking. See, I grew up in Jersey. Oh, I can imagine what you thought capping was then. Yeah, that's basically, we won't go down that road. Yeah, it's not that, Mike. Okay. Capping is a over covering up the ugly foundation that's on the porch? Yes. Okay. With some new material. Mm -hmm. And so here in Texas, we call that capping. In other places, what did you call it in Arizona? We didn't have a term for it. We're just like, do you want your existing patio to match your pool? Okay. So, so we can do an overlay. Maybe we call it an overlay on yep. your existing patio, but there was not a term that I recall that I ever used anyway that was capping or specifically defining that patio. It was just more, do you want your patio covered with the same material? So can you cover your existing patio with any material? It depends. On what? It depends on the elevation of the patio, the thresholds of the doors, what the thickness is of the material, how it's going to be installed. Okay. So the bottom of the door, that's the finished floor? The threshold. The threshold. Going down to the concrete on your porch, you have to have a certain, so if it's like a half an inch, you're going to have a problem capping it. Yes, you are. Okay. Unless you have something that's like paper thin. The deal is that if you were to have some flooding, even an extra quarter of an inch or a half of an inch, you just water's going to always seek the path of least resistance. What we're trying to do is mitigate challenges for drainage off that patio. So yeah, if the threshold is really low, very close to the same elevation as the patio, there's going to be a challenge there. So that's something you have to think about the material that you're going to put there. So like I was on a job today that we were doing the layout. There's an existing flagstone patio covering that porch that's already there. So it's already been capped. It's already been capped and it's right up to the top of the threshold. And so we were talking about, depending on the thickness of what they capped it with, what are, are we going to be able to cap it with what I had in mind? Mm -hmm. And so if 
we can't use a full-size paver like we're putting everywhere else, we could also switch the tile that is the same material and, and cap it with that. So there are different solutions you can look at. But you usually need two, three inches? Two inches minimum. Okay. Or probably more. Yeah, so depending on the material that you're using. Well, it's nice to bring that patio up too just because you don't have that little step there, but you got to be cautious of it. So the nice thing is now your new patio around your pool and your porch flow together and they're all the same material and it looks beautiful and it's architecturally a lot better than having two separate things. Yeah. Capping sounds good. Capping's a good thing. In the pool business. There you go. Hopefully this has been helpful for other people to create some memories of their own. Awesome. I think that should wrap up another episode of Poolside Perspective Podcast. Thanks, Mike. We'll see you soon. This show is all about helping you become a better buyer, a better pool owner, and hopefully you're going to find some insights into how to enjoy your pool even more so, how to help your friends, your family, anybody looking to buy a pool in the future or that want to remodel their backyard, add an outdoor fireplace, fire pit, add an outdoor kitchen area, add some shade cells or whatever else it is. We want to be that resource for you. And that's the end goal here. And we promise that there's going to be a ton of information. We'll try to go through it, you know, as relatively quickly, but also slow so people can understand. But the intent of the show, the reason Mike and I are doing this is because we just got a lot in our heads and we want to share it. So we hope to see you here every single week. Thanks for listening.